As they prepare, they are being... Uh, Amen. We just sang such a beautiful song, Standing on the Promises, and the only problem is that when that song is most often sung within the church of our culture, most of the time we are singing Standing on the Promises when we are doing nothing other than merely sitting on the premises. It's a problem. There's a disconnect between our work and what we say we believe. Now, two weeks ago, we said that our work and our worth are not found in the things of this world that decay, deteriorate, and die. But rather, our work and our worth are really found in the living God, the Savior of the world. Indeed, the hope that sustains the Christian in our work and worth is found in our living Savior God. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, is really giving to young Timothy and to the church at Ephesus the priorities for the responsibility of elders. He has already commanded Timothy to refute faults and flawed doctrines in verses 1 through 3 and verses 6 and 7. He has ordered young Timothy to ground his direction, his devotion, and his diligence in the service of God and his glorious gospel there in verses 4 and 5 and 8 through 10. And today we are going to turn our attention to the priorities of elders and pastors in their walk and in their work. In the priorities of the elders and pastors in their walk and in their work. Now, William Carey, who is often called the father of the modern missions movement, was a shoe cobbler by trade before he went to India. He kept a map of India within his shoe shop, stopping often to study and to pray over that map. Sometimes, because of his preaching ministry, his shoe business suffered. On one particular day, one of his fellow business owners was rebuking him and correcting him and saying, listen, you got to change things. You got to get your priorities right because your business is suffering. William Carey inquired, neglecting my business? And he looked at the man and said intently, my business is to extend the kingdom of God. I only cobble shoes to pay expenses. My business is to extend the kingdom of God. I only cobble shoes to pay expenses. No matter what your occupation, whether you are a butcher or a baker or a candlestick maker, it matters not because really our biggest job is not to simply work and pay our bills. Our biggest job is to serve the living God who has saved our soul. To extend his kingdom, to expand the glorious call of Jesus Christ to sinners to come to salvation. Indeed, Carrie's mentality should be our mentality that my real business is to extend God's kingdom. I just work to pay expenses. In other words, every Christian is in the ministry. As we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, God gave to the church apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. In other words, it is not just the pastor's responsibility to be about the glorious gospel mission of expanding God's kingdom. It is for each and every Christian to be about that. It's for you. And it's for me. 
But in a very real way, God has gifted me. He has charged me to do what? To preach and teach his word so that it might edify you. It might build you up in in the gospel so that you then might do the work of service. My job is to equip all of those within the hearing of my voice to the work of the ministry. If you are a saint, if you are a holy one set apart by God, redeemed, saved by Jesus Christ, then you're in the ministry. Some may be supported so that they may give themselves full time to the ministry, but every Christian like William Carey should see that their main objective, their main purpose, their main business of life is nothing other than serving the living God. Since that is the clear teaching of the New Testament, it ought to be of great concern to every Christian to know how to fulfill the ministry God has entrusted to him or to her. It seems as if there were droves who are burning out in the ministry because they are exhausted. They are bombing out of the ministry because of moral failure. They are fading out of the ministry because of the fickleness of their commitment to the one named Jesus Christ. But the fact is the church should be full of spirit-filled people who have been transformed by God's glorious gospel. So that they might increasingly be conformed to the image of his son and so that they might pour their lives out into others through gospel ministry. Just want to ask you this morning. Do you have a walk with Christ? Does it reflect in a work for Christ? Where are you plugged in here at Adamsville or wherever your home church is? How are you ministering? Oh, but Pastor, I'm too old. I I worked with the kids for 40 years. I'm burned out. Really? Well, you know, I I just, I'd rather pursue my own pleasures and my own interests than I would to live a pure and holy life so that I might participate in the expansion of the kingdom of God. Well, you know, I'm committed to Christ, but, but really I've got other things that are far more important. It's much more important for me to go shopping, get my hair done, go play golf, go turkey hunting. That's mine. I don't know what yours is. But listen, there are things that distract us and deter us on a regular basis from serving the living God. But there should never, never, never be anything that deters us or distracts us from loving and serving the living God with all of our life. In today's passage, Timothy is to be a model, an example for the church, for what it means to have a walk with Christ that shows itself in a work for Christ. Every Christian indeed is to have a work for Christ that reflects a walk with Christ. And so this morning, let us take for ourselves the text of Scripture there in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, and let us read together the words that God has inspired through the Apostle Paul. Let's stand together now for the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, it reads as follows, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. 
be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Young Timothy, let no one look down on you for your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Father, as we come today, we ask that you would give us priorities in our life that reflect the priorities revealed within your word. We ask that as we come today, we would look and observe our lives, look into and observe our lives. We would see where we are lacking, where we fall short of your commands. And Lord, we would look and honestly observe whether we have a walk with you, first of all. And secondly, whether that walk with you is leading to a work for you. Lord, May we worship you well in spirit and in truth. Father, may everything that we do, everything that we say, be to your honor, to your glory, and to the furtherment of your kingdom. We pray these things now in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. We see here in this passage that the basis for every Christian's work for Christ is a walk with Christ. The basis for every Christian's work for, work for Christ is a walk with Christ. If you look at the end at verse 16, you'll immediately see this. When Paul says, pay close attention to yourself. Pay close attention, Timothy, to your walk and to your teaching, your work. You see it there? There's a walk and there's a work. Pay close attention to yourself, to who you are and what you do, and pay close attention to your, what, teaching, what you are doing in the midst of the church, your work. First your walk and then your work. Your work for the Lord must always be from the overflow of your walk with the Lord. That means your ministry will be backed by a life of integrity. You are imparting to others what you have because you have a walk that is personal, that is real with the living Christ. If we all would learn the simple but profound principle, our walk with Christ is a necessary basis for our work for Christ, we would avoid burning out, bombing out, and fading out of the work that he has given us to do. And so the question for you and for me this morning is, is the basis of every Christian work that we do for Christ a walk that we have with Christ? Is everything that we do in the basis of a work for Christ uh, coming, flowing from a walk with Christ. Well, there in verse 12, he begins by saying a walk with Christ worthy, he, by showing us a walk with Christ worthy of following. At the time of this letter, Timothy would have been in his mid to late 30s. Now, I know that's ancient to some of you young children, uh, but for some of you, you're rejoicing. I didn't even know I was still young. But Timothy is somewhere in his mid to late 30s, and in the perspective of his culture, he would have still been thought of as a young man, especially in comparison to the senior apostle Paul, who perhaps was somewhere around 25 to 30 years his senior. 
he would have been thought of as a young man. And there was a real temptation for the church at Ephesus and even the churches of our day to reject this young minister because of his youthfulness. But Paul commands the younger elder preacher to live a life of such character and such consequence that he cannot be ignored or mocked in anything. Now, I rejoice when I come to this passage because I came here at 29, straight out of seminary, having no idea what I was doing, just quite honestly. And many of you knew that and saw that. I even had some of you that told me, well, I voted against you simply because you were 29 and you'd never been a pastor before. And I looked at them and said, well, that's probably smart because I might have voted against myself. I mean, I I would have definitely been tempted to. But we are tempted to reject people who are youthful, right? And here is a real struggle for Timothy. The church is tempted to reject him because of his youthfulness. But listen, Paul says, live a life of character and conduct, a life of consequence, so that when people see your life, they must receive you as a genuine messenger of God. Don't let people look down on you, Timothy, because you're young. See to it that they really look up to you because of your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith and your purity. Timothy, prove yourself as a genuine Christian by a lifestyle that is worthy of the gospel. Practice what you preach, thereby proving yourself as a true and faithful servant of the living God who is your Savior. Now, five areas of concern for character that shows a walk with Christ that is worthy of following. First of all, his speech. This isn't Timothy's preaching speech. This isn't what he says in the pulpit. This is what he says day by day in the midst of the streets. In the way that you talk, Timothy, in the respectful way that you talk to people, in the serious manner in which you talk to people, in the appropriate manner that you talk to people, you show with your language that you're a minister of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says that what? We are to speak the truth. Is it just speak the truth? Are we to beat people down with the truth? Are we to be hard, uh, hard laboring upon those who need the truth? Listen, speak the truth in what? In love. Timothy, watch your speech. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and following, we see that Paul goes on to address the speech to the church at Ephesus when he says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Children, how are you doing with that with your parents? Parents, how are you doing with that with your children? What about husbands and wives? How are you doing as far as ministering to one another with the words that come out? Are are the words that come out of your mouth actually profitable for the building up of the kingdom, for the building up of the church, for the building up of the expansion of the gospel ministry in your community? What is it that your speech reflects? 
See, he says, listen, you need to uh, have words that give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Spirit. In other words, if you're using words contrary to this, you are actually grieving the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God. Let me ask you, are you imitating God in your speech? You being an imitator of God in the way that you speak speak and communicate with others around you, our speech shows our salvation from God and our increasing sanctification by His Holy Spirit. In all relationships, our speech should give credence to a conversion from sin and a conformity to our Savior. We need to stop and put a damper on our mouth most of the time, don't we? had to catch myself this morning just in a moment of uh, response, just aggravation, not thinking about what I was about to say in the way that I responded to my wife. had to go to her and say, honey, I am very sorry. That is not speech that demonstrates I have been saved by the living God. We need to consider our speech. Second of all, we are to consider our conduct 24-7, every day of the week, every day of the year. We are to live lives that are to be controlled by the Word of God through the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. We must not be like the hypocrites that Paul references when he talks to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Let me ask you. If I were to come and walk around with you 24 hours a day for seven days a week, would the work of your hand, would the conduct of your life be such that everyone who knows you knows that you are a Christian and knows that you have been saved by grace and transformed from a sinner into a saint? Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Indeed, it would be hard for many of us to stir up a jury of peers who could convict us for being Christians, isn't it? Our conduct reflects whether or not we have been transformed and changed by the Savior, Jesus Christ. Third of all, love. And we've got to move quickly so that we can get through these. But love. Love is a characteristic that should be present within the minister. You show in the way that you serve others the love that you put there. You show uh, your love in the fact that you are willing to serve others and put their interests before your own, that you are willing to serve them even at your own expense. You show in the way that you love that you're a minister of the gospel. Jesus says they will know you by what? By your love. Indeed, Jesus was love and HD. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the way through his life, he was the epitome of God's love shown abro- shed abroad within this world. He showed how to perfectly love and care and extend charity to those around him. Indeed, we are to be like him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. 
And they will know that we love when we reflect purely and perfectly the love that Jesus Christ had for us when he laid down his life at the cross of Calvary. Fourthly, faith. If you have another uh, translation of the Bible, you may have spirit there, but I want to warn you that spirit is not in the majority of the older Greek manuscripts that we have. And so faith is the next thing that Paul takes up within his writing. And faith implies that we trust God and that we are faithful to him. We lean on and look to God by expressing our faith that he is our deliverer, our redeemer, and our savior. As we increasingly walk by faith, towards God, we show ourselves to be faithful to Him and to Him alone. In other words, faith always precedes faithfulness. Indeed, once we give our lives and surrender our lives to the living God, then He takes them and He leads us, He guides us, He sustains us. And step by step, as we learn to trust Him through the most perilous of time and perplexing of circumstances, He begins not just to be the one who we have faith in, but to the one who indeed leads and guides every single step. Indeed, our faith in God always leads us to have a life of faithfulness towards Him. Fifthly, of purity. Purity, and this is, in fact, is sexual purity that Paul is referencing here. And it is important as we live in this present evil world that tempts us so much with the seduction of sexuality. Ephesus was indeed a center of sexual impurity in Paul and Timothy's day, especially for a young man who was faced with all sorts of lurid temptations. Paul said, listen, if you want a life that is going to tell your community, that is going to tell your your church, that you are different, you are changed, you are transformed from all those others who are around you. You live a life of sexual purity. He must have a chaste, Timothy is to have a chaste relationship to the women in the church and to keep himself pure in mind and heart and in body. And let me just say this very quickly, young men among us, as you grow up, as you grow out, as you start to have some changes in your life, in your thinking, I want want to warn you here in this passage it says to keep yourself in purity it is a hard track to keep within our community within our culture but here is what the word of god says you pursue purity so i i don't want to see you pulling at the girls within this congregation saying hey come on let's go over here and do this thing I don't want to see you trying to take sexual advantage of any of your sisters in Christ. Why? Because it doesn't reflect the character and the conduct of a Christian man who has been transformed by the power and the glory of God's gospel. Walking with Christ means that we are to be people who take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. As soon as a wrong thought pops into your mind, we are to confess it and to turn from it. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Is what Romans thirteen fourteen say says the truthfulness of our message and ministry is found in the truth that our lives have changed and transformed are changed and transformed by the living God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves as we look within our daily life, does our conduct, does our conduct reflect 
that we have been changed and transformed? Does it actually look like we are practicing what we preach? See, these are examples of true Christianity. And so we must ask ourselves as we look in the mirror, if, Paul, if Timothy is to be an example of Christian conduct and we are to be imitators of Christian conduct, then indeed we must ask ourselves, do we have these five characteristics and are they increasing in our life? Indeed, in our speech, in our conduct, in our faith, in our love, and in our purity, are we living a life that demonstrates God has changed our hearts? Our walk with Christ must demonstrate faith in God and faithfulness to God in order to be a walk worthy of following. But second of all, we see that a walk worthy of following leads to a work for Christ worthy of hearing. After addressing the minister's walk with Christ, Paul turns to focus on the minister's work for Christ that is worthy of hearing. And he says, actually, there is a three-step, uh, three-fold worship guide for the ministry of God and the meeting of God's people that is worth hearing. He says in verse 13 that the focus and foundation of the worship of God's church is to be the reading, the exhortation, and the teaching of God's divine revelation. Well, I want stories, Pastor. Okay, we'll give them to you from the Bible. This is what God says. And this is how he says to do it. He says, listen, the preeminence and the priority of the proclamation for God's people on God's day in God's place is to be God's word. The word of God is to saturate us. Uh, We are to be saturated with the word of God and we are to be satiated by the word of God. Indeed, Paul says that we are to give attention to, devote ourselves to, be absorbed in God's word. God's word and its proclamation is to be the first and highest priority for those that are ministers of the gospel. And so as we come today, we need to hear Ligon Duncan, a pastor there in Mississippi, who warns that if we do not immerse our ourselves in this command we are actually contradicting the bible's instruction and how can we ever expect to be blessed when we are directly contradicting the commands of god ligon duncan says this because even if the minister with the best intentions wants to give us a message which is in accord with scripture but doesn't read scripture we will begin to associate the minister's message with the minister and fail to see that he is simply the messenger for a greater speaker and author, the Lord God. Yet how many preachers do we have standing in the pulpits of America today just proclaiming emptiness and vanity? They come and they say, hear the word of God, but they never open the word of God to read the word of God. They come and give helpful hints and successful six steps to success. But they don't bother opening and reading the Word of God and faithfully expounding and expositing this. This is exactly why we always read the Word of God in the service of worship by itself that we may all recognize that it is the final source and rule of life and everything that the minister says is simply drawn from and in accord with the Word of God. It takes nothing from the Word and adds nothing to the Word. Indeed, the Word of God is to be read in the 
assembly of the people. And so we stand every time that we take the Bible and open it and read it to show that it is the source and authority for our lives. And when I come behind the pulpit, it is standing here. If I fall off the side, you go on without me because you have the word. And the word is your guide, not me. Your word is the truth of God revealing his purposes and plans in this world. Paul goes on to say that attention is not only to be given to the reading of the word, but also to exhortation and teaching upon hearing the word of God read. The pastor elder is to make plain the meaning of the word in accordance to the divine inspiration and intent of the Holy Spirit. In other words, whatever the word is saying is what the pastor should be saying. In other words, the plain things of scripture are to be the main things of teaching and the main things of scripture are to be the plain things in teaching. That makes sense? What the Word of God says is what the pastor is to say. Nothing different and nothing contrary. He is not to make up eight helpful hints, six steps to self-help or success, three traits to tame your trying kids. That would make a great sermon for some of you this morning, wouldn't it? That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to preach the word. We're supposed to read the word, draw out the clear doctrine, and then bring it to bear in the life of the hearer. In faithful Bible preaching, these things are to be present. First of all, a reading of the word. Secondly, a clear explanation of the word so that you understand it. Thirdly, an application of the word so that it connects to your life. And fourthly, an exhortation to compel you to increasingly be conformed through obedience to the word of God. Listen, the job of the pastor and it is a sad and sorry lot within our community within our culture because when we turn on the tv we look and we see uh, guys who want to be stand-up comics on saturday night instead of stand-up preachers on sunday morning and we look and we go well what's their goal their goal was to entertain it wasn't to evangelize and edify But the purpose of the preaching is to preach the word for evangelism and edification within the context of the church. In verse 14, Paul goes on and we must move quickly. He urges Timothy not to neglect the spiritual gifting of God for the spiritual ministry that he had been given by God. In other words, God gives spiritual gifts because we are dead men preaching to dying men. Dying men preaching to dead men. We need to understand that in the gospel ministry, we have been given the task of proclaiming life to dead spiritual beings. And there is not one among us who is in gospel ministry who could ever resurrect a spiritually dead man and transform him into a spiritually living man. Only God in his power can do that. But listen, God in his grace gifts men with spiritual talents so that he might then make dead men live. Richard Baxter says, I preach as a dying man to dying men, but with the assurance of the Holy Spirit to accompany and empower our message and our ministry, we know that when we read the Word, teach the Word, and exhort others to repent and believe, the life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit will strengthen and sustain us. God is the one who saves. God gives. God works through us. And God is ultimately the substance source and substance of our message. Verse 15, Paul says that Timothy is to make 
take great pains to be absorbed in gospel growth that is reflected in godliness. In other words, Timothy, you can't serve two masters. You must devote yourself to knowing Christ and to making him known. No pastor can ever lead his people where he has not gone himself. No father who is seeking to disciple his sons could ever lead his children where he has not gone himself. No mother who is seeking to disciple her daughters could ever lead where she has not first gone herself. Indeed, our ministry call is what I do have. I give to you the pastor, the church member who is not growing is actually going backward for it is impossible to stand still within the Christian life in our living, in our teaching, in our preaching, and in our leading. The Christian must give evidence of spiritual growth which comes through the Word of God. We must be people who have a walk with God that outflows into our work for God. Hugh Latimer, who was later killed and martyred by Bloody Mary, used to say to himself before he preached in the royal court, Latimer, Latimer, thou art going to speak before the high and mighty King Henry VIII, who is able, if he think fit, to take thy life away. Be careful what thou sayest. But Latimer, Latimer, Remember thou art also about to speak before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Take heed, thou dost not disappoint him. We are to have a ministry worthy of hearing. We must have a ministry that is saturated and satiated with the word of God as the source and sufficiency for all that we do. You want to know who we are and where we stand? Open the book and read a little bit. This is who we are. This is where we stand. Exactly what God has said and revealed within his word. That is who we are and where we stand. And the reality is that it is uncomfortable for some. But if we are going to have a work of Christ worthy of hearing, the word of Christ must be the substance of our proclamation. Finally, this morning, we see in verse 16, a worship of Christ worthy of wonder. Timothy, pay close attention to yourself, to your walk, and to your teaching, your work. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who believe or for those who hear you. How is, how is Timothy and these people going to be saved? Because of what he preaches? No, because what he preaches is God's truth of salvation. And so where, what are we to see? We are to see that he is to continue with an exhortation to have a work for Christ worthy of hearing. He concludes, Paul concludes here by reminding Timothy to serve the wondrous Christ through every facet of his life because salvation of souls is at stake. Listen, it's not just whether we are going to experience discomfort in our extending of the kingdom of God within this world. This is actual eternal death destiny that is at stake for those who receive jesus christ as lord and savior there is an eternal kingdom of god's glory that can never be seen never be experienced by anything or anyone in this world but For those who reject and revile God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ, there is a penalty, a curse, a kingdom 
which you do not want to endure. And it's not just for a few days, a few years, or a few few months, or a few years. It is for eternity. And we must understand that by living out a life that is converted from sin and increasingly conformed to the Savior, Timothy is a living example of the truthfulness of the gospel. He is a living example of the wonder of Christ who is worthy of our worship. If we make our church about anything other than the gospel and anything other than the perfect and pure Christ suffering and dying for sinful humanity and being raised on the third day by our great and glorious God in order that He might bring salvation to the souls of sinners we then compromise the gospel and we corrupt the message and the ministry of God that God has given us that is worthy of worship if we make our church about our stuff our rituals our traditions our music our programs instead of God's Savior we jeopardize ourselves our souls and the souls of many others to eternal hell but when we display the wonder of Christ the transforming changing world work that God's glorious gospel has done in our hearts because a sinner came to the cross of Calvary and laid down his life and said, this is the work of my sovereign substitute, my sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ, on my behalf. He has suffered and died in my place to take the penalty of my sin. And he has now been raised again to walk in newness of life. And I trust that God at the cross of Calvary has fully satisfied his wrath by giving his only begotten son for me that's a change that's a transformation that is a wonderful message worthy of hearing and worthy of receiving indeed a worship of christ worthy of wonder each of our lives ought to be filled with the message that we serve the living God who is a savior for sinners. This is a prophet. This is the life that is profitable to God and to his glorious kingdom. Let me ask you this morning. Can you say my business is to extend the kingdom of God? I only cobble shoes to pay expenses. Can you say that everything in your life is given for the express interest of expanding God's kingdom for his good and for our good and for his glory? Do you have a walk that is worthy of following? Do you have a work that is worthy of hearing? Do you have a life of worship that is worthy of wonder? If you don't, then I invite you this morning to lay your life down at the cross of Calvary and to say, Jesus, I know I am, pu- I am poor. I know I am imperfect. I know I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I know in the work of cross. Christ on the cross you have offered forgiveness full and free for those who are poor and those who are imperfect this morning Lord I want to have a life worthy of following I want to have a work worthy of hearing I want to have a worship that is worthy of wonder as those who look into my life see and behold who I am and what I am by your grace and for your glory. If you would make that decision today, it will be the greatest decision you ever make in your life because from that point forward, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted by the Holy Spirit to work in his kingdom. Now let us get about the business of making known the great and glorious Christ that we have received.
this morning. Father, we thank you in these moments for your glory and your grace. Lord, we ask that as we come to this time of decision, Father, that we would surrender ourselves and surrender our stuff fully to you, that, Father, we would see ourselves in a right perspective. Father, that we would have a great desire, Father, not just to work for the stuff of this world, but to work for our Savior who has delivered us from the penalty and power of sin so that we might be sons and daughters of the Most High. Lord, give us a walk with you that is worthy of following. Give us a work for you that is worthy of hearing as we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, may you fill us, lead us, and guide us so that your glorious kingdom might go forward here within this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand now for our hymn of the day.